Hello and welcome to Conversations with Writers. Talking to writers about what drives them to tell their stories. This is the sound of Supernova, the annual pop culture convention currently touring Australia. And it was here that we had the opportunity to speak with comedian, journalist and author Sammy Shah, while simultaneously breaking the format of our show. You see, we went on location, and unfortunately, our grand plans for a deep dive into Sammy's fascinating and often hilarious body of work is going to have to wait until another day, as time was against us on this occasion. Nonetheless, we spoke to Sammy about the dark magic of the jinns, the legends of Pakistan, and Sammy's affinity for being surrounded by numerous cosplayers. Oh, so many Deadpools. Our traditional long-form conversations will continue with our next episode, as will the improved sound quality. But thanks to Sammy and his promise to return, this is just the beginning. In other words, like all good comics, films and TV series, to be continued. Hello, Sammy, and thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Now, Sammy, you have taken from the book of the Quran, the, which is, of course, the, the text of the Islamic religion, mm-hmm. and you've taken a lot of the core elements of that book and moved it into a fictional story, which is the boy of earth and fire, which That's is right. broken up onto, into two books, which is Fire Boy and, earth, and boy. earth Boy. Yes. What drove you to tell that particular story? Um, because it's more than just um, Quranic references. The, the characters that I've used are called jinns. And that's what the f- book is focused around, jinns and jinn and, and um, what jinns do and what they are. And when you tell people normally, if I have a conversation anywhere else in the world, um, and I say jinns, people say, oh, genie. And when you think of genie, you think of either I dream of genie or, uh, you know, Aladdin's genie. But, but these are very much not These are not Disney that. Genies. And these um, are the jinns or genies that we grew up with in Pakistan because they're part of our culture. Um, these are the boogeymen that we were used, that were used to frighten us to, to sleep when we were kids. And, and our parents said, don't go out at sunset because the jinn might possess you. And that's the kind of thing that we were scared of. Um, and I, I just, it frustrated me whenever I'd read books about Islamic mythology, Islamic culture, that they'd always reference a thousand and one Arabian nights and always have genies as these wish-granting mythical creatures. And none of that is what we grew up with. And in Pakistan, in India, in South Asia, it's a very different flavor. And it just felt like I wanted to tell the stories that I know, that I grew up with, that are part of my childhood, um, that I wasn't seeing anyone else telling. And if you pulled on the nature of what, how jinns are described in the Quran to put these into the books, which are these beings of smoke and fire? The, so basically, the description in the Quran itself is is not that much. It says beings of smoke and of smokeless fire, um, and then it ascribes certain powers to them, like that they can fly, um, they can listen to what the angels are saying, um, and that. They're good jinns and bad jinns, and there's a there's a Quranic quotation, or or um, it's called a surah or ayat, which is a portion of the Quran that you recite, which helps you um, defend yourself against them. So that's even in there. And then there's other mentions like, oh, you know, on the day of judgment, what they'd be doing, and and um, how they they bow down to the Prophet Muhammad himself, and things like that. But the descriptions, the literal figure figure descriptions, aren't there as much. That's more taken from just popular culture from the from the stories that you're told and you know the way they're represented in 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 literary media in Pakistan in in the native languages so i just wanted to kind of carry that into um a urban genre fiction book that you know i'd read so many of growing up but they were always so anglo-centric and eurocentric and i felt like 
why can't they also be you know asian centric and south asian centric and still be the same kind of urban fantasy that you'd get in a in a in a, in a bookstore yeah so this story is set very much on the streets of karachi and below the streets of karachi mm. which you grew up in yes and wahid the hero of the journey is a string beam sort of young 15 year old yep. comic book geek yep Am I talking to him right now? Kind of, part of. It started <laughs> off that way. It's the first fiction book I'd ever written. And so it was natural that my, the lead character would initially start be, be me. Um, but he's definitely more naive, more, or more, he's less, um, he's less of a perv than I was, you know, things like that. Um, I think some of his friends, his best friends are closer to what I am. But that was my childhood as well. I mean, we grew up in Karachi. We'd go to school. We'd go to tuitions. We'd go home and play video games and most likely Dungeons and Dragons till late at night. We swapped comics, read fantasy books and, and we were geeks in Pakistan. And, and I kind of wanted to also show that, that it's not just, um, you know, uh, Harry Potter could also be a Pakistani kid is what I wanted to show. I've heard you state that it seems almost easier to get a book up in Australia about Islamic faith than mm-hmm. it is to actually write an adventure story set in Pakistan. Yes. Why, why is that? Well, so I think what it is, like, because I have two non-fiction books now, and both of them I had no problem publishing. The first one I had to be convinced to publish because I didn't even want to write it. My autobiography, I Migrant, the publisher had to literally force me to write it because I was like, I don't want to write an autobiography. I want to write fiction. And, the, um, and this is the I Migrant story of 2014. Yes. About your move from Pakistan, Pakistan to, to Australia, Australia and coming here and settling in and why I left Pakistan and all of that stuff. And But what it actually is, I like to think, is it's a... Uh, um, it's a socio-political history of Karachi, the city of Karachi, uh, throughout my life. That's what I'd rather the book be about. And that's what I Migrant is. And um, they were happy to publish that. And then when I pitched the new book, Islamic Republic of Australia, which is about the Muslim communities in Australia and the nuances within them and, and those kind of things, they were happy to publish that. But not a single publisher wanted um, Fireboy. When I wrote that. And, and, and it's not that a Fireboy is badly written. I, now that it's out, I can say other people have confirmed to me that it isn't badly written. Um, but it's just that in fiction, people feel like they only want certain representations. Whereas in nonfiction, the more alien the representation, the more interesting the book gets. Because, you know, you want to read about Ando coming from Vietnam and, and being on a boat and all that. But the same book, exact same book had been a work of fiction. Ando would not have been able to sell it to a publisher, I think. I think, personally, um, as a tall, skinny, white guy from middle-class mm-hmm. Australia, it was uh, very enriching to get into a new culture and yeah. discover that it actually connects back into the cultural heritage of Pakistan and the yeah. nature of the Quran and the Islamic and I, faith. And I, and I believed that. I believed that. Look, I grew up in Pakistan reading, you know, George R. R. Martin and, and J.R. Tolkien and, and um, Ursula Le Guin and all these people and Neil Gaiman and everyone. I never had trouble visualizing myself as a kid in America, as a kid in London as a kid in, you know, in Narnia or wherever. It just wasn't a thing that I had problem visualizing. And I firmly believed then, and I believe now, and a kid, that a kid in, in Wagga Wagga, who's grown up to an Anglo-Australian family for four generations, will have no trouble visualizing life in Karachi if the book is written faithfully enough. What sort of response have you had so far? Really inspiring. What I, I was hoping for, kind of, but didn't know if I'd get, which is a lot of Muslims, a lot of Pakistanis and Indians, South Asians, um, you know, contacting me and going, thank, thank God someone wrote the book we always wanted to read, which has been very heartening. Also, a lot of people 
uh, you know, quote unquote, white people who've been who've said, um, "I didn't know this stuff was out there, and I love reading about it." Now, where can I find out more about jinns? Where can I read more jinn books? Things like that. So, um, I mean, it's a book that literally came out from a indie publisher in Sydney that has never published anything else, and it was their first book, my f- first fiction novel, their first book entirely. We had no marketing budget or anything. We went from store to store, hand selling and signing copies, and it's spread only on word of mouth, and and you know. It's doing shockingly well, and now I've sold the rights to uh, UK and uh, sorry to India and, and Pakistan, um, and possibly UK and US with a big publisher, and that's all happened because of word of mouth. What's your expectation from being published in Pakistan, given that it does take elements from Islam, and you yeah. are an ex-Muslim? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, my ex-Muslimness doesn't come into it into that book at all, in fact. And, and more than anything, it's quite respectful of the religion and the aspects of the religion there because it's, it's, it's almost a homage to them. It's very much the stuff that I grew up reading and, and I was taught in Islamic classes and, and my parents and everyone told me. And, and I just wanted to tell those stories faithfully. So even, um, even though I myself am an atheist, I feel like the book is a very Muslim book and it could not be that. It, I mean, it's about Muslim mythology. It well, has to be that. Well, I've heard you say that the atheists are the vegans of the religious world. Yes. And they appear to be a rather judgy group of people. Yes, they are. So, so it is surprising then that, that it is so respectful. Well, it's because, I mean, I did grow up with it. I grew up with Islam my entire life, and it is a part, it's a part and parcel of who I am. Like, when I first became an atheist, there was some anger towards religion, which was, I think, happens when everyone becomes an atheist initially. But over time, I've come to, like, appreciate that I am a cultural Muslim. I'll always be a cultural Muslim in that, I, you know, I, I celebrate the Eid festivals, and I say, mashallah, and bismillah, and, and all those things. And that's just a part of who I am. I can't ever erase that. And it'd be futile and silly to do so. Um, so, and I think having that in me allowed me to write a good book. Um, I think if I had been a Muslim who was very devout, I might not have written this book because I might have had too much, um, not fear, I guess, been too much in awe of the subject matter. But because I have some distance now, I've been able to do it in a respectful way, but still also get it out. Well, it pulls very much from the Quran in the sense that it reiterates the creation story, which mm-hmm. I wasn't even aware of. And this is showing my sheer ignorance here because I'm coming, growing up originally in a right. Christian faith. But the creation story is very similar. It's pretty to, much identical. It, That's right. Except that in Islam, it appears that it, the blame doesn't get put on to Eve. Yes, it's equally shared between the both of them. Yeah. Adam and so they, there's no original sin, um, uh, Eve's original sin in in Islam. Um, they both equally took of the apple. They were both convinced by Iblis, um, you know, the snake in the garden. Um, and also, Iblis wasn't um, a fallen angel; he was uh, a jinn. So and, that's and, and Iblis is, as explained is the devil, in the book, sorry. is the yes, devil. Yes, yes is, is, is known as Satan under other Shaitan, Iblis. Yes, these names. Tell me about Bazaar. Well, I think it's, and excuse my pronunciation yeah. of it, which is essentially the waiting room. Um, oh, Barzak. Yes. Barzak. Yes, Barzak. Um, it's basically, so the way it works in Islam is when you die, you don't go to heaven or hell. Heaven and hell are empty right now. They don't get filled until after judgment day, you know, the, the day of revelation or apocalypse or whatever you want to call it. In Islam, it's called judgment day, qiyamat. And that's the day when... All the dead will rise up. God will weigh everyone's sins, good and evil, and decide, do you go to heaven, do you go to hell? Um, and might not be as many people as you think will go to hell because one of God's 99 names is also all-forgiving. So, you know, that should give you a hint. But the idea is that um, what ha- if you die now, 
you don't go to heaven, you don't go to hell, you go to a waiting room called Barzakh, which is a place where all the souls are and they can look down and see the world and the descendants and how the lives are living. But that's where they are right now. Yeah. And if you're good, I believe it is, it's a thing of like, if you're good, the time in Barzakh will be a blink. And if you're bad, you will feel every moment of that time in Barzak and things. Like that. And then that changes, of course, depending on who you're talking to and which grandmother is telling you which part of the story. Yeah, <laughs> I see. Um, so when you started writing this mm-hmm. book, um, did you have a clear journey that you wanted to take everybody on? Or did it I, I'm not a planning. I'm not. There's two types of writers. I think the plotters and the seat of the pants writers. And mm. I'm definitely a pantser. <laughs> um, I, I had which one line. Which is a whole new name for a business. Guy yes, that's right. Yes. Definitely um, a pantser. I had, I had one line. And the line was, um, Wahid's father was a textile merchant and his mother was a jinn. And that was it. That was the only line I had. And I knew that there was a boy whose father was a textile merchant and mother was a jinn. And the rest of it just kind of came as I wrote it. So my goal was 2,000 words a day. And I would not know what those 2,000 words would be when I'd sit down to write them. But I'd know what they were when I was done writing them. And it's, it's a stressful way of writing, but it's the only way I know how. In 2015, which was prior to the book being published, mm-hmm. um, on one of your podcasts, you mentioned that you weren't sure whether you liked it anymore. Yeah, what happens is um, I'd, I'd written it. I went through seven drafts of this book. Um, and each one just improving it, improving it, improving it. And, and, and between those drafts, there were hundreds of rejections from agents and publishers. And what happened was when I was ready to do the final draft, like that, I was just like, look, I'm done with this book. I'm sick of reading it. It's not, I hated every aspect of it at the time. I took no joy in it anymore. And I just wanted to give it one last shot because I don't believe in wastage. Like I believe if I've put the time in to write something, salvage something from it. And that one last shot worked out. It ended up going with Fantastica and, you know, now it's a physical thing. But when I was working on it at that point, I was, I was sick of it. I couldn't bear to read it. And then once you publish it, once you give it to the publisher, then there's a proofreading and then there's the copy editing and then there's all of that. And literally my experience as a writer is you love writing the book. And then by the time the book is published, you are sick to death of the book and you want nothing to do with it. So like now I can reread it and enjoy it. But it's been a while since I've touched it last. Well, Earthboy was published this year, mm-hmm. and it is the, the uh, conclusion. Con- conclusion. Yes. yes, it is a duology. Now, was it one book? It was, and it's right. very obviously so when you read it. Like, you can tell there's no attempt to even hide that. It was written as one book. I tried selling it as one book six times. No one wanted it. The seventh time, I was like, I'm just chopping it in half and seeing if that changes anything, and it did. <laughs> Um, so I think when you are a publisher and you get 120,000 word book about gins in your, in your mailbox, you're like, I'm good. But if you get 60,000 word book about gins, you're like, I'll give it a read. Um, and I, and so that was the way it ended up being. Now that it's coming out in South Asia as a book of the boy of fire and earth, that's a single book, which is a collected thing, which is the way it was originally always meant to be. Sammy, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you here while we sit on the floor at Supernova. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, (laughs) surrounded by comic geeks and Mm -hmm. fans, so you must be in your element here. I love it. I've never been to one before. Um, I grew up a geek in Pakistan, just with my friends, like five or six of us swapping comics, and that was the height and extent of our geekdom. And to come here and see the cosplays and the costumes, and to meet like a 
I met Will Sportacio, who won't mean anything to you, but he's... No, no, a fantastic comic artist. That's who right. was part of the Image Comics. That's right. Original. He created Wetworks, and he also drew, like, the Bishop comic of X-Men, which was the yes. first X-Men comic I bought. So I was like, I'm meeting someone who 99% of the people don't know, but to me, he's amazing. And just little things like that. Like, yeah, it's, uh, it's heaven. It is. Sorry, it's, it's been an absolute delight, and we'll do this next time um, when we've got more time available. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. And Sammy's books Fireboy and Earthboy are available right now. And so too is his latest non-fiction work, The Islamic Republic of Australia. This has been James Ricards with Conversations with Writers, and thanks so much for listening. We can be found on Twitter at ConversationsWW and also on Facebook. Thank you very much, and we'll see you with our long-form format next edition.